It is my joy to welcome you to our pre-recorded worship service for September 6th, coming to you from Church of the Palms in Sarasota, Florida. Today we have the privilege of celebrating communion together, so I would like to encourage you to grab a hunk of good bread and a glass of wine or juice. We know that God will show up the way God always shows up when we gather around his table. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Now let us prepare our hearts and minds for worship by listening to the prelude. Have you not known, have you not heard that the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth? He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint and strengthens the powerless. Even youths will faint and be weary and the young shall fall exhausted. But those who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Let us worship God.
If we claim we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, God, who is faithful and just, will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Friends, the Lord is near. Let us confess our sins against God and our neighbor. O oh God, we confess that our good intentions have gone astray. We favor the people who are like us and honor those we deem to be important. We dishonor the poor, write off those with whom we disagree, excuse our self-serving behavior, and sow injustice on every hand. It is so much easier to give advice than to do good. We would rather point fingers at others who are unfair than to give up our own advantages. Oh God, we plead for your forgiveness and for a depth of faith that will make a difference in us and in our world. In Jesus' name, amen. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. So friends, believe the good news of the gospel. In Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. Let us share together that wonderful confession of old and new, the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. And now this is the time when we would ask you in the sanctuary of your home, to pass the peace. We're glad that you can share with us and we are grateful that you are watching us. Let us share together.
welcome to worship today. We are so delighted that you are with us. Well, you may have noticed that the pandemic has given us lots of opportunity to connect through technology. As frustrating as technology can be at times, thank God for technology. We also thank God for the volunteers who are behind the scenes and know how to work this technology. And maybe you want to be one of those special people. You see, we received a grant from the foundation that enabled us to buy new video equipment for the campus center, as well as cameras for a small recording studio. So we need seven, see this is seven, a very biblical number, seven willing people who want to serve in this growing ministry with us. No experience is necessary. We will teach you everything you need to know about cameras and other cool stuff. So just contact Sarah Soboleski if you would be interested. Her information is on the website or you can call the church office. If cameras and technology are not your thing, we also have new opportunities in our food pantry. We are moving from our drive-through food pantry this week back to our original walk-in food pantry, which means that we have opportunities to bag groceries at 8 a.m. each day of the week, as well as to have people serve by handing out bags of groceries to all of our neighbors who need this special help. So if you would like to help in that way, again, that information is on our website where you can click to volunteer. As a congregation, we are going to be reading and discussing together the book Love Does by Bob Goff. If you have not read this book before, you are in for a treat. It is full of wonderful stories. We really hope, though, that you will join a small group so that you can discuss it and get to know friends in our church family. We'd like to invite you to contact Professor, Professor Dr. Mingy Brown. Um, Mingy's information is on the website and she will get you connected in a group. Many of them are, most of them are probably meeting on Zoom. Some are meeting in person. We begin this 10-week series on September 13th and we'll finish up just before Advent. The new Connect magazine is out. It is available online as well as some copies that you could find in our office. And because we are in this theme of Fruit of the Spirit, the whole month we're going to be talking about love. And here's one thing that we would like you to do. Turn to page 9 or download the image and print out this little section that says love is. And then think about what love is for you write it on that line, and then hold it up and take a picture like Jackie and Bao have done here. And there it says, love is teamwork. And if you turn that picture into Jackie by September 21st, she will put together a very cool video montage so that we can once again see each other and learn what we think about love together. Well, we had a wonderful first God in Hollywood just this past Wednesday evening. And this week, we'd like to invite you to watch the movie, The Elephant Man, then register online for the Zoom link and join Pastor Steve for a great discussion next Wednesday, September 9th at 6.30. Finally, we had a fabulous fall kickoff. Thanks to some amazing volunteers and your wonderful staff, we were able to serve 344 people, 
40 dogs, one cat, all in 181 cars and one bicycle. We felt the love and the joy. It was contagious. And now we'd like to show you just a few of those highlights on a video that was captured. Friends, we are at that time in our service where we have the privilege of worshiping God with our offering and our tithes. The four ways that you can give are on your screen. We are so grateful for your faithfulness and your generosity, and it is such an honor to partner with you as we live into our mission statement of loving God and loving neighbor. Let us give generously.
Let us pray. We give because you have been generous to us, gracious God. We give because we need to give in order to realize your image within us. We give to feed the hungers of body and soul that are all around us and deep within. May the ministries of this church meet the needs of our members, our community, and our world. Help us to love our neighbors as ourselves. Amen. And now I would love for the kids to come close so that we can have the children's moment. I am Geneviève, and I usually direct the choir and the handbells, and it's such an honor to speak with you today. Little announcement, uh, Sunday School with Miss Carol will resume next week on the 13th. You can find the link on our website. And also, kids will be learning, just like us, about the fruit of the Spirit. And youth group will resume in small groups starting on the 16th for the middle schoolers and then on the 20th for the, the high school group. And the family ministry team is looking forward to planning all kinds of fun outdoor events and you will receive some information about that by email. Aren't you glad to have finished your first week of school? I'm pretty sure that it was probably very different for you this year. Maybe you did school at home, virtual school, or perhaps you did go to school, but things look different. Uh, you probably can't be really close to people, and you probably had to wear a mask, and all that feels very different. Maybe your parents or your teachers were a little bit more stressed out than usual. It's just a strange year for sure, and there's been a little more worrying than usual. You know, I used to worry about people wearing masks. You see, English is my second language. I grew up speaking French. And what people don't know is I really need to see people's lips to figure out the words they are saying. So I was worried that if I didn't see people's mouths, I wouldn't understand what they're saying. The only people that I had seen with masks on were the dentist and you guys on Halloween. So I knew this was going to be a little bit different, and I was a bit worried. Back in 2020, early on, we memorized a verse written by the Apostle Paul, something he told his friends in Philippi. Paul was in prison, so he couldn't see his friends, but he was writing a lot of letters to them. And in this particular letter, he told the good friends he loved very, very much not to worry about anything, but instead to pray about their worries and also to thank God for what they have. And that after they would pray, they would feel this wonderful peace from God and that their hearts and their minds would be guarded by Jesus. So after feeling so worried about those masks, I did just that. I prayed to God, just the same way Paul told us to do, and I asked God to help me understand people, uh, even though they're wearing masks. And I also thank God for my many friends who were sewing beautiful and colorful masks because it, it made them more fun, and it was exciting to see people with colorful masks. And it's amazing because I think my worries did go away, and I felt this peace that Paul is talking about. And now, what's great is that I realize 
that I can understand people just fine. I don't need to read their lips. And actually, I get to see their beautiful eyes, which is wonderful to look at, right? So as you start your new year, if you have some worries, go ahead and pray to God. And Jesus will grab your big bag of worries from your shoulders, and you can go, ah, just like that. And keep up your good work. I know you do amazing things. You and your parents, keep it up. Let us pray. Good morning, God. We feel a bit worried some days, but we thank you that we can go to Jesus to make us feel better when we have harder days. We thank you for the peace and the love you bring into our hearts today and every day. Amen. Thank you, Genevieve. I'll have to keep that in mind so I don't worry too much. Well, most of you have heard that we are looking forward to reopening our facilities for corporate worship on Sunday, October the 11th. As you can see, there is still more work to be done here in the sanctuary as well as over in the campus center to get ready for you. So we pushed our reopening date back just a couple more weeks to October the 11th. The path of the virus is heading in the right direction, and we know that there are many of you anxious to return. We will be offering our regular worship schedule on that day, 9 a.m. here in the sanctuary, 10 a.m. over in the campus center, and then 11 a.m. back here in the sanctuary. You will need to register for your service of choice so that we can assure you that we have room at that particular service, since seating will be limited due to social distancing. We'll require masks to be worn, social distancing to be maintained, bulletins, hymnals, passing the plate. There will be no congregational singing due to the increased risk such activity produces. Lots of details, but likely more of you than not will feel the need to stay home, and that's perfectly fine as we will continue our pre-recorded online services that include all the traditional elements you're used to through which you can worship at home. Everybody will have the chance to experience the full Church of the Palms life, so good news. We're moving forward with every prayer that we can remain safe and healthy, which we continue to have as our number one priority. Well, as you learned earlier and saw earlier in our service, our big kickoff Sunday was last Sunday. We had the chance to see so many of you in our little drive-through event, and we hope that that was of help to you to get you started in this journey that we'll be taking during the course of this year of exploring the fruit of the Spirit. Each month, we will focus on one of the fruit of the Spirit, enumerated in Galatians chapter 5, 22 and 23. This month, we start with the fruit of love. Now, love is a pretty big topic, and we talk a lot about love around here, but, but love can mean a lot of different things, but the English language has pretty much only one word for love, and it doesn't make it easy for us to tease out from that word all the variations of love. So we thought it might be interesting to look at the four Greek words for love. Greek has four words for love, and each of the Greek words point to a love, a different kind of love. So the four Greek words are these, storge, which is family love, phileo, which is friendship love, eros, which is romantic love, and then finally agape, which is sacrificial and godly love. So over the next four Sundays, we're going to take a look at each of these four loves in that very order, starting today with the Greek word storge, meaning family love.
Now, with every fruit of the Spirit over the course of this year, we're going, we're going to challenge you to do something very tangible to exhibit that particular fruit. So in this month of love, we want to challenge you to practice this fruit of the Spirit by doing something fairly simple, and that is writing a letter. And in particular, writing a love letter. We want to challenge you to write a letter to someone else. Maybe it's a, a love letter to a family member or a love letter to a spouse or a love letter to a friend that you so appreciate or maybe it's a, a love letter to someone with whom you're estranged or, or maybe it's just a love letter to God or maybe it's all the above. I guarantee you there is someone in your life that could really use a love letter from you or I suppose a love email so think about it over the course of this month and then sometimes sit down and actually do it. Write a love letter to somebody and we'll give you a chance later this month to share your experience of love letter writing with the rest of us. Now back to Storge. Storge, this word for family love, is actually not a word we find in the New Testament. You know the New Testament's written in Greek, but we don't find that word in the New Testament. And nevertheless, there is story after story where this family love in the Bible is exhibited and tested in all sorts of ways, as we find in our two lessons this morning, one from the Old Testament, one from the New Testament, from Genesis 33 and from Mark chapter 7. The story from Genesis 33 is a part of a larger story about the family of Isaac and Rebekah who had two twin sons, Esau and Jacob. Esau, by virtue of being the firstborn, was entitled to the ranking position among the two brothers, but Jacob and his mother Rebekah conspire within the family to ensure that Jacob gets what was due Esau, and what follows is this great rift in the family with Jacob going one way and Esau going the other way, vowing never to lay eyes on each other as brothers again. They spend years apart, and then finally, Esau, the one actually with the greater grievance, Esau has a change of heart and makes his way back to Jacob. And here is how that story goes from Genesis chapter 33, verses 1 through 11. Now Jacob looked up and saw Esau coming and 400 men with him. So he divided the children among Leah and Rachel and the two maids. He put the maids with their children in front, then Leah with her children and Rachel and Joseph last of all. He himself went on ahead of them, bowing himself to the ground seven times until he came near his brother. But Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck, kissed him, and they wept. When Esau looked up and saw the women and children, he said, Who are these with you? And Jacob said, The children whom God has graciously given your servant. And then the maids drew near, they and their children, and bowed down. Leah likewise and her children drew near and bowed down. And finally Joseph and Rachel drew near, and they bowed down. Esau said, What do you mean by all this company that I met? And Jacob answered, Oh, to find favor with my Lord. But Esau said, Oh, I have enough, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself. And Jacob said, No, please, if I find favor with you, then accept my present from my hand. For truly to see your face is like seeing the face of God. 
since you have received me with such favor. Please accept my gift that is brought to you because God has dealt graciously with me and because I have everything I want. So he urged him, and so he took it. And then this text from Mark chapter 7, beginning at the 24th verse. From there, Jesus set out and went to the region of Tyre. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know that he was there. Yet he could not escape notice, but a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit immediately heard about him, and she came and bowed down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile of Syrophoenician origin, and she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he said to her, let the little children be fed first, for it's not fair to take the children's food and throw it to the, to the dogs. But she answered him, oh, sir, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And then he said to her, for saying that, you may go. The demon has left your daughter. So she went home and found the child lying on the bed and the demon gone. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. By your grace and through your mercy, we pray, O oh Lord, that you will allow these words to come to point to the word just read and to the word made flesh in Jesus the Christ, for we pray this in his name. Amen. Leo Tolstoy, in his great novel, Anna Karenina, begins the epic story with this line, all happy families are alike. Each unhappy family is unhappy in its own way. There's a lot to unpack from that line, and it takes about 900 pages for Mr. Tolstoy to do so. The line itself ends up on just about every literary critic's top 10 list of opening lines, in large part, I believe, because it speaks to the happiness as well as the unhappiness found within a family. Nowhere in the universe will you find the gravity of love most felt than within the tree of a family. Nowhere are expectations for love so high, and nowhere are successes and failures so intertwined and keenly felt. Richard Cohen, a political reporter, told the story years ago of the day he took his boy, Ben, on a train ride in New York City. The boy had been battling a, an illness, a rash of some sort that had been uncomfortable, and the trip into New York was, first of all, a trip to the doctor, but then after the doctor's appointment, the dad was going to take his son on a train ride. The boy loved trains. They were his passion. So the train ride was an ample reward for the boy having to cope with this uncomfortable rash. So you can imagine how excited the son was to anticipate not only a ride on a train, but a ride on a train with his dad. After the doctor's appointment, they made their way over to the train station to take a ride out of the city and then back in. When the train arrived, father and son hopped on board, minding, of course, the gap between the platform and the train, always a little hair-raising when you have a young child. And after getting on the train and taking a couple steps in, Ben, the son, looked back and noticed that his father had dropped his work ID back on the platform. Look, Dad, your work ID, Ben said. 
<clears throat> Richard, the father, looked back, spotted the ID on the platform, told his son to wait right there inside the train while he jumped back out onto the platform to pick up the card. And just as he was picking up the card, he heard his boy yell, let me help, Dad. And when Richard heard this, he instinctively held up his arm in the universal parental no position, but it was this very gesture, this gesture of protection that knocked the boy off balance and he fell into the gap between the platform and the train. Cohen describes the nightmare. I have covered bloody conflict from Lebanon to El Salvador, and I have never known the razor-sharp terror like that uncertain moment when a little person, your little person, is in mortal danger and you don't know what to do. I pleaded with the startled travelers not to let the doors close. Trains with open doors don't move. People were horrified, motionless, mannequins. I guess no one knew what to do. My God, I quickly wondered, where's the third rail humming with electricity? Ben, don't move, I yelled as my eyes adjusted to the darkness down there, and I saw him half prostrate in front of a wheel, twice his size. He, he was trying to get to his feet. Put your hands in the air, son. Put your hands high as you can. Two little tightly clenched fists appear below the level of the trap platform. I dropped to my belly, scoop up the day's child I had knocked down there in the first place. Oh, no hero in this story. Just the survivors of a self-inflicted wound. Cohen goes on to write, in war, your number is up when it's up. Even at home, on the battlefield that really matters, our hold on life is fragile. Sometimes we get only one mistake. Our children can only look up at us. The trust in the eyes of a child is overpowering, especially when you know you have failed once and been given a second chance. Nowhere in the universe will you find the gravity of love most felt than within the tree of a family. Nowhere are expectations for love so high, and nowhere are successes and failures so intertwined and keenly felt. It's interesting, isn't it, that when the story of God and God's people gets told in the pages of Scripture, it seems like a chronicle of dysfunctional family after dysfunctional family. Adam and Eve have Cain and Abel, and Cain and Abel have their issues. Abraham and Sarah have trouble having a family, and when they do, there's more trouble to come. Isaac and Rebekah raise two sons who won't talk to each other. Jacob manages to cook up a stew among his children to create a sibling rivalry. Ruth and her mother-in-law, Naomi, cling to each other in the midst of life's cruel fates. King David and his family, broken up by the betrayal and unfaithfulness, Jesus tells the story of the father who had two sons who were not on the same page. And then in our story this morning, a desperate mother who will do anything to get Jesus to heal her girl. Nowhere are expectations for love so high than in a family. And nowhere are successes and failures so intertwined and so keenly felt. 
Such a fragile gift, isn't it, that God should give us in our mothers and fathers and our brothers and sisters and our sons and daughters and our grandmothers and grandfathers, for there is this overpowering stir that arises in the hearts of those with whom there is this connection of storge, of family love. I remember when the nurse placed into my arms my first and only born, and there came upon me this instinctive bond, this grafting, this intertwining that I knew I could not walk away from even if I wanted to. And the same was the case when they put my grandchild in my arms just a year ago. The same goes when a couple stands together exchanging rings and vows. You are mine, I am yours, we whisper to each other. Brothers and sisters travel down separate paths with separate personalities and separate tales to tell. And yet, as different as they may be, there remains still this cord that holds them together even, even when they tire of holding on to each other. But, as I said, storge is a fragile gift because, after all, it is us humans who fill these roles, who take up branches on the family tree. And human beings have their way of not living up to the gold standard. Human beings have their way of being human and of possessing glaring limitations and selfish motives and distracted hearts and mercurial emotions. And sometimes, oftentimes, we're not on our best behavior. Yet, there remains still this precious gift of God, this storge love that keeps pushing us toward those we have been given to love. For that is what families are, correct? Those that we have been given to love. In Harper Lee's To Kill a Mockingbird, it's the young boy Jim who reminds his Aunt Alexander of his father's wisdom. You can choose your friends, but you sure can't choose your family. Ah, and they're still kin to you no matter what, whether you acknowledge them or not. And it makes you look right silly when you don't. You can choose your friends, but you can't choose your family. And yet, there we are, having been mysteriously chosen for each other. And while there are forces within and without that conspire to pull us apart from each other, nevertheless, deep within, deep within is this gravitational pull back toward each other, this connection very hard to deny. And maybe it's this, this pull, maybe it's this connection that forces us to learn about love in a way like no other. Family love can take us to deep places that we may not wish to go ourselves. It makes me think of an article I read a long time ago in the Wall Street Journal back in the 1980s. I, I clipped it out and kept it. And it was about the Henderson family up in Jennings, Missouri. Three-person family, mom, dad, son, Presbyterian, dad and elder, mom and son singing the choir, dad somewhat a distant father, busy doing his work and volunteering, mom sticking a little closer to home. Every family, of course, has its own dance, its own balance, its own configuration of the tree branches. But they figured out how to be a family as best they could, just like the rest of us. But then 
came the conversation between son and father where son tells dad that he's gay. And because it's 35 years ago, dad just doesn't know what to do with this news. He's a factory guy, doesn't know about those things. So there's the potential of distance. But it doesn't keep dad from saying, I don't understand all this, but I love you. And then years later comes the phone call from the son to say that he has AIDS and he doesn't know what to do. And because it's the 1980s, they really don't have any great treatment and now he's alone. And so Mr. and Mrs. Henderson talk about it and realize that the two of them, out of the two of them, that probably he's the one who can most easily leave his job. So he drives up to Chicago where his son lives and he moves in and he learns how to wash clothes, and he learns how to give medicine, and he learns how to change bedpans, and he learns whatever he needs to learn to be a dad to his boy, and he holds his boy's hand until the good Lord takes him home. It's what families do, Mr. Henderson said. Maybe that's what Esau was saying when he turned his face toward his brother. Oh, a lot of pain, a lot of pride to swallow. But it's what families do. And maybe that's what was in the back of the mind of that hysterical mother, kneeling at Jesus' feet, making a bit of a fool of herself, casting her Gentile self in front of this Jewish holy man, begging for him to make her girl well. It's what families do. Oh, I know each unhappy family is unhappy in its own way. No truer words have been written. And I know that the branches of each of our family trees can get gnarled and not hold, for we all have complicated stories. Nowhere are expectations for love so high, and nowhere our successes and failures so intertwined and keenly felt. And yet from beyond us comes that sacred stir, pushing us ever so gently toward each other. This treasure we possess, though inside clay jars, this love that will not let us go, this tree of which we will always be a branch.
Jesus said, I am the vine and you are the branches and you cannot do anything apart from me. And so it is that we bring ourselves to this table, bringing all of our little branches along with all of our family trees to this place such that we can be once again reminded how we are engrafted into the true vine and how it's only through the vine that we can receive the nourishment we need in order to bear fruit in this world, to bear fruit in our families, to bear fruit through our community, and to bear fruit across the globe. So come, friends, to this meal where we may find ourselves once again experiencing the work of the Holy Spirit, nurturing in us the gift of love so that we may share that love as good fruit in a world that is so hungry to receive the gift. Hear now the words of the institution of the Lord's Supper. On the night he was betrayed, Jesus took bread gave thanks and broke it. He gave it to his disciples and said, take and eat. This is my broken body given for you. In the same way, after supper, Jesus took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood poured out for you all for the forgiveness of sins. Do this and remember me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. And friends, he will come again. Let us pray. It is truly right to glorify you, O God, for you alone are God, living and true, holy and compassionate, and dwelling in light accessible from before time and now and forever. We thank you, Lord of life, for you are the fountain of all life and the source of all goodness. You made all things and blessed them as good. You created us female and male to rejoice in the splendor of your radiance and the gift of your love. We join with angels and archangels, the saints of every creature under heaven, and we glorify your name. O God of compassion and of saving power, we lift up our prayers for your world. We pray for deliverance from illness, for the end of racism and oppression for soldiers who serve to keep the peace, for church leaders and missionaries who risk to share your gospel and life of your love, for those recovering from Hurricane Laura and other disasters. We pray for the church universal and for this church that all we do might glorify you and share your love with neighbors near and far. Now, O oh Lord, we pray that in your goodness and mercy your Holy Spirit might descend upon us. May all who share this bread and this cup become one body and one spirit to the praise of your name and to the glory of your love. Now we bring our prayers to you in the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, who taught us to pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. 
thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Now friends, this is the feast of our Lord for the people of God. Now is the time we share the bread and the cup that we have here and you have at home, remembering God's love in Jesus Christ. Now let us share the feast.
Let us pray. Gracious God, we praise you, for you have welcomed us back to your table. And we have found here the graciousness of your invitation. We have found here the grace of your reception and hospitality. We have found here the grace of this food, this heavenly feast that has nourished us such that we can now go into the world and bear fruit for the sake of your son, Jesus, that all may come to know through the love that we share that there is a God who so loved the world that he gave his only son. So, Lord, we thank you that we have this feast to take with us as we seek to be your people in the world. All this we pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.
And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit rest and abide with you now and forevermore. Amen.